Hey, what's going on? Happy Friday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. On the air slightly early today, five bonus minutes here of Canucks Canucks Talk content on a Friday. I'm Jamie Dodd. An extra five minutes and we work the stat. That's right. Look at us. Wow. Hardest workers. Seriously, this is... You know what? You know what they say about Canucks Talk? We never quit. That's right. We never, ever, ever quit, <laughs> even when it would be in our best interest, too. Uh, I'm Jamie Dodd. That's Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Also, if you're joining us and watching the live stream, after a week in which I have razzed Jamie's attire literally every day we've done the program, we're twinsies. Yeah, we are now dressed almost identically. <laughs> we texted each other. By the way, I wore my I wore my like Alpine cable knit sweater, and then it snowed that day. Yeah. I felt per. I was like, yeah, I nailed it. I, I was wearing the perfect or sweater. Or you brought the snow. I was wearing cause the, and effect. Like, how do you know? Perfect sweater to enjoy the snow. How in. do you it know? Fantastic. It didn't snow in celebration. Indeed, uh, <laughs> in celebration <laughs> to honor me. <laughs> six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, yeah, of all the days to go on early, this is a good one because we've got a busy show. There's lots going on. We're one week, one week and three minutes away as I speak right now from the NHL trade deadline. So we got lots to get to there. Do you want? Should we? Should we just save the game entirely for later? What do you want to do? You want to do trade stuff let's, first, or just get the game out of the way? Let's yada yada the game. Okay, so Canucks beat the Blues three two in overtime. Another late comeback. Andre Kuzmenko again. Incredible Pedersen game winner. Mm-hmm. Short-handed goal to give them a shot. Two, pre- two primary assists for Pedersen on yep. the two uh, regulation goals as And then well. Andre Kuzmenko from point-blank range. The Andre Kuzmenko's office is, <laughs> is, is, is the same as Patrick was. Um, <laughs> and the office opening hours are like the final minute of the game. <laughs> um, what an effective piece of anti-tank artillery. Uh-huh. Andre Kuzmenko is. Um, yeah, so look, Canucks are playing. They're they're playing the wheels off their best players. Yep. especially when they're trailing. Atu Ratu plays what eight minutes? Yes, eight minutes. Blink if you miss it. Blink and you'll miss it, or or watch closely and you might miss it. Um, but that's neither here nor there, right? Like I was asked on Donnie and Dolly this morning, what do you make of Atu Ratu's Canucks debut? I'm like. Literally nothing. He touched the puck a few times. Like, it does not change my view of who he is at all, right? Like, I didn't learn anything. I didn't. Ha- I don't have new concerns. Like, he didn't play much. And the Canucks didn't play well. Like, uh, here's the other thing. The Canucks didn't play well, but they came back. And they mm-hmm. got some f- fantastic performances from the players at the top of their lineup. A couple relevant stats. Canucks are now 500 point percentage under Rick Tockett. Hey, it looked dicey for a bit. But my it's too late to tank take is coming back. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, <laughs> only to be punctured on Saturday when the Boston Bruins <laughs> roll into town. But nonetheless. Well, we'll see how the next four games go. Their last real tough stretch of the season, these it, next four it, and, games. And then it's cake. Yes, it is. And and look, you, it's too late to tank because tanking, like, you don't finish at the bottom of the standings by accident. Look at the Chicago Blackhawks. It takes real work and insight and, and foresight. More than insight, but insight too. To get there. 
Um, Canucks aren't getting close. They're not. They're not. And so this road trip for me, like, this was a perfect opportunity. If you were really going to get into the mix before the schedule gets cupcakey, you know, not eliminating two, Philly, two goal leads. Yeah. <laughs> Philly, Nashville, and St. Louis, that stretch really loomed large. Because yeah. if you'd fallen flat on your face there, and then you go into this hard stretch, and then you're looking at, oh, boy, that's a long time to go without many points. Yeah, well, the, 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 like, like the Coyotes are three points up on them. Yeah. Right? Like, that, that's the conversation if, if they'd fallen flat here. They haven't. And look, they're going to be picking seventh or eighth without lottery balls, I think. And the one thing I'll say about because I know I think it's important to like th- they're not bad enough. They're not bad enough. Well, no, here's the and thing: they haven't made the choices required to even compete for it. Right? Like you, you extend Andre Kuzmenko; he's the guy who just helps you earn three points. Like obviously, because Andre Kuzmenko can score. Like, and and look at the Canucks schedule for the remainder of the season, and just, I haven't done the exact math, but just try to figure out, go through it, and try to roughly figure out how many games of the remaining on the schedule are the Canucks going to have the best player on the ice in. A oh, lot. Oh, almost It's a all. lot of them, like, right? All but, all but what, seven? A handful, yeah. And when you have the best player on the ice, and of course we're talking about Elias Pettersson, right? We've seen what he's done what he's done against Philly, what he did last night against St. Louis, winning the game in overtime, setting up the two regulation goals. When you have the best player on the ice, you're going to win games. You're going to win your share of games, right? Yep. That's the situation they find themselves in. And I know I just want to I I know there was some sort of uh I don't want to say anti versus pro tank debate or whatever. That that kind of discourse flying around. And here's the thing. I completely understand. And, you know, Batch kind of made this point when we talked to him earlier in the week, right? He doesn't want to tell people how to be a fan, how to cheer for the Canucks. And I agree with that. And I completely understand the mindset of, hey, I'm a Canucks fan, and I like to sit down, and it makes me happy when they win, and especially when Elias Pettersson, their best player, does cool things. Like, I completely understand that. Ton of fun. It's good. It's cool to see him do awesome stuff. I get that. What annoys me a little bit is when... We try to pretend like winning this game is going to do something beyond just giving Elias Pettersson an opportunity to show how great he is, right? That it's going to be meaningful for the future performance of this team. Well, well, That's it, where well, I start sorry. to roll my eyes. But it is. It's just going to have a negative effect. Sure. You know what I mean? But there's a whole idea of, you know, hey, they're they're starting to build that winning culture. Come no, on. No, no, no. Well, Come I, on. I kind of buy, though, I kind of buy, like, when you – if this team with this core group gets into games that matter down the line, which, by the way, I think is very much an open question of whether that ever happens. You mean in future seasons? Not, yeah, future yeah, yeah, seasons. Yeah. Does it help that there's a sense of confidence when you're down two in the third period? Right? Like, do they feel like they can come back in those games? Does that level of belief matter? Do you get to a point like the Chicago Blackhawks used to say, right? They they do one of those impossible comebacks, right? Like Patrick Kane, mm. game six against the Predators, tying the game shorthanded. Or, uh, I don't know, you can think of eight examples against the Vancouver Canucks, right? Where it was just like, they were on the ropes. You thought they were beaten, and then they found a, some escape, right? And what the Blackhawks would do, you'd walk off, and whoever scored that goal would, like, mm. hit the logo, you know, uh, sort of wave the logo and just be like, something in these jerseys. And it became a thing for them that they were never down and out. Is there something about that 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 down the line can translate? I just think realistically, you have to build that in games that matter. I agree with you. I don't know if you can build that in against the St. Louis Blues and the Nashville Predators when they're as checked out as two teams are possible to be. Especially, and we can talk a little bit more about St. Louis and what's unfolding there. We don't need to. But like, 
I don't think you build that against in these types of games. St. Louis, St. Louis has really poisoned the atmosphere around that team, and their their like ability to tank here to like really maximize their draft odds is something to watch. I mean, Barubi like went in about as hard as you can go in on your team. Yeah, uh, last well, and then and then game. they had a long meeting, um, you know, with. Uh, with general manager Doug Armstrong admitting that there's a lot of hard feelings around the group right now. And and by the way, never underestimate how annoyed a room gets when you do things like trade Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko. Especially when you've, they won cups, uh, a cup, sorry. They won a cup with, the, with yeah. those guys, right? And so if you're Colton Pareko, if you're some of the other guys that are still left from that run, yeah, well, that's going to rub you hearing, the Are they going to consider trading these D? Are they going to do this? Like, what's this team going to look like, right? I mean, it, it's, it's a rupture that they're effectively – Dealing with they they looked horrible yesterday. Oh man, they were awful. Like the Canucks didn't play well, but they were awful, awful. No, St. Louis. And the, the last thing I'll say is if if winning these games when you're already out of it down the stretch set you up for future success, we would have seen that play out in Vancouver with over the Boudreaux? last like five or six seasons. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, Boudreaux's the best example. But how many times have the Canucks done this where they win a bunch of games after they're already eliminated, and then what do they do next season? They stumble. They fall flat out of the gate. Bruce Boudreaux, they finished on the heater of all heaters to end last year, and there was no evidence whatsoever of any carryover. So the idea that, and I know, hey, new coach, all that, it's an extended training camp, but I, I'll believe it when I see it. Let's well, put it that and way. And they do it to themselves. The worst part is like, you know, the one that I, I'll never get out of my head is 2021, right? Where mm. the season is over for everybody else. The playoffs have started in the Eastern Conference. And the Canucks win, well, they pick up five points in eight games. So they win two of four. Five of eight, yeah. Five of eight. Yeah. Two of four, and they and they have an overtime loss. And I think they tied it late in that overtime loss game, too. And if you go go look at the final standings that year, they, they they finished three points ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who end up picking fifth that year. Um, you know, you lose one more game and don't come back, and that's a huge. And they didn't like. Here's the worst part about it: they had a, a head coach who wasn't extended. Mm. Literally, like the structure of the organization was: we're still evaluating you. So obviously, everyone went hard. They set it up that way, right? It, to me, that remains just such a hard one for me to get over because I even wonder, like, if they were picking fifth overall and sort of looking at Eklund and Edvinson and hoping for Luke Hughes and, you know, thinking Kent about Johnson. Kent Johnson, the wizard of Port Moody, would they have done the Oliver ekman Larson trade? Like, how different does this franchise's history? And so it's just three points. Right, picked up in two games where they'd you know got their their money line got to like I think it was plus seven fifty, right in both games. Um, do you look at those games and be like, oh, it's just three points, whatever? What do you want people to do? Lose? And it's like, well, you know, if you're got a player like Atu Ratu making his NHL debut, you could play him twelve minutes, especially if you're down. You give him a chance to show what he can do. You put your lines in a blender and, and give him some shifts with some good players. You could go about sort of winning holistically. You don't need to play Quinn Hughes 30 yeah. minutes. You don't need to play JT Miller 27 minutes. Like there I don't think the players need to tank and I don't think no. I don't think the coach needs to tank either, but the coach can be evaluated on different things. And they're trying to win. That's how the Canucks operate. And that's often a a rebuttal that comes up. Like, well, what do you expect the players to do? No, the players, I 100%. It would be alarming if the players weren't going 100%. We'd, we'd carve right? them yeah. if we thought. That would be very, very bad. They were packing it in. But I think there's a difference. When, when fans have this kind of 
frustrated reaction to results like last night. Sometimes you're just frustrated, even if you don't think things should like anyone should have done anything differently. Totally. Like nobody's saying Kuzmenko shouldn't have scored there. It's just like, oh, it's bittersweet. That's all they're saying. They're not saying, and therefore the players should stop trying so hard. Okay, well let's pivot. Let's pivot yeah, yeah, to yeah. talking about the deadline because I actually have a natural segue that brings us back to this this point. The Dmitry Orlov acquisition by the Boston Bruins really caught me off guard in part because everyone I was speaking to around the league thought Gavrikov Boston was a fait accompli. And by the way, it sounds like Columbus felt that way as well. Yes, yes. So, you know, it's one of those where it's like the deal happens and I text all the people who have been like, oh yeah, Boston Gavrikov, that's for sure, right? I'm like, hey, WTF, what what do you think happened? And um, the... The thing that they sort of replied to me was that, you know, like, you know, I think Columbus themselves are upset. With the Orlov acquisition, I think that's a brilliant move. A brilliant move by the Bruins. I think he's a really good, like, he's a way better fit for them than Gavrikov, in my view. Like, he's a way better fit for them than Jacob Chikorin, in my view. And you know why? Because he's got the two-way IQ, right? Like, Chikorin's this super offensive... Uh, physically dynamic defender, but he he's more in the Jacob Truba mold. Yeah. Where I sort of wonder uh, sometimes about the overall hockey sense part of their game. Um, Gavrikov similarly, and Gavrikov is also lower upside, not not nearly as dynamic uh, off the rush as Orlov is. And let's be real, this Bruins team when they eat, they eat because they're the best team in transition in the sport. Orlov's going to add to that. I think that's just. A perfect fit, and then Garnet Hathaway might be one of the best fourth liners in the league. So it made sense to me from a Bruins perspective, but what really stood out to me, what really stunned me about the deal wasn't so much the Gavrikov didn't go to Boston thing as it was the fact that Washington, who are what, two points out of a playoff spot as it stands today? Something like that. They're certainly not done and dusted you know what i mean if no. they decided they really wanted to push for it they're they're in like they they have their two chance. points they're two points back of the detroit red wings although the red wings have three games in hand um they looked at themselves and thought hey look we have some of the best assets in the league we, we'd be silly not to look at these prices yeah if if, <laughs> if gavrikov is in this much demand why don't we explore trading dmitry orlov it makes a lot of sense so they get a first second third and they take back Craig Smith, and I won't be stunned if they retain and flip on Smith. And then if they really want to get wild here, like they have Lars Eller. What? Lars Eller would be like, got to be one of the perfect deadline pieces you could oh, offer Oh, yeah, teams. 100%. Uh, rough and tumble third line defensive center? Come mm-hmm. on. That's that's catnip for general managers at the deadline. Um, Nick Jensen? Holy cow. Like if Washington really wants to make hay here, that changes an awful lot. Um, in terms of the players we, we'd expect or, or think might be available at the deadline. And in that trade, this Washington Capitals team taking this like very realistic, sober assessment of where they're at and deciding to sell is the same, is the sorry, the Minnesota Wild who are rinsing and laundering dollars for them. Yep. And the Wild have looked at their team, which is in a playoff spot today, if I'm... if I'm. Oh, I think so, yeah. Not, unless unless the Calgary Flames uh, won points. No, they're, 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 by points, they're still third in the Central. 
Oh, my goodness. They're not even in a wild card spot. Now, by points percentage, they'd be behind Colorado, but still. So the Minnesota Wild have looked at their team, and they're not selling necessarily, although Greenway and Dumba, we'll see, right? But they are deeply willing to use some of the cap space that they've accumulated, not to bolster their team, but instead to accumulate future assets. That's effectively like the sort of maneuver we expect from a rebuilding team. Mm -hmm. The Wild have executed because of the way that they've been able to hold cap space all season in the midst of a season in which they are a clear playoff team, but probably not at the level that they'd hoped they would De- be this season. Definitely not in at terms, the level. They, in terms of contending. Yeah, they were like they thought they were going to be contenders this year, I and, think. And they've seen enough to be like, you know what? We're not going to be one of the six or seven teams where anything actually can happen. We're going to be one of the anything can't happen playoff teams. And that's fine. That's fine. We're not going to go about weakening our team. We don't need to pull a Washington. But we're at least going to be thoughtful about how we marshal our assets, and we're going to marshal them in a way that helps us in years where we do think we can contend. Mm -hmm. The sobriety of those sorts of decisions, the ruthless self-assessment that underpins them. And you know what impresses me, especially about Washington? The decisiveness. Right. Right? Like, one week ago, maybe it was kind of on the horizon, well, we'll see what's going to happen here. But then they decide it, and boom! And they were holding those guys out, and then they got traded. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gavrikov, Chikrin, now Shen. Well, trade really... And I'm not even criticizing, especially the Canucks. I think Gavrikov and Chikrin are a little bit different situations. And Columbus, that's why you don't just assume that a deal is going to get done until it's done. Like, don't just don't just wait around. Well, and Yarmo's, It's not done! Yarmo Kekalainen is one of the hardest negotiators in the league, right? I mean, if he's upset with you, you know... That's pretty. That's pretty um, surprising because because that guy that guy does really well for himself in trade talks and and is one of the hardest. That's one of the hardest front offices to talk contract with too. But the ability to pivot on a dime like that, yeah, right, and say okay, cool. the circumstances have changed, and we're putting this into action right now, and, and they we're going to make hay, and they might do it again based on what Darren Drager is talking yep. about Washington's potential interest in Chikrin. So I, I mean, you know, they're the point is is that they're seizing. Uh, an opportunity in the midst of a season in which they are absolutely competitive for a playoff spot to instead look at the long view. And why I think this applies to the conversation we were having about the frustration that Canucks fans feel now when, when wins happen and the debate that it sets off is, you know, if the Canucks were in Washington's spot, right, with like a 25% chance at a playoff spot, They'd be buyers. And we all know oh, it. 100%. We all know it because that's how this organization is wired. Well, where did it, they stand exactly when they made the Toffoli acquisition? They were they were strongly in a playoff spot. But it wasn't a guarantee. No, it wasn't they a were guarantee. Gonna, you know. But they were, I mean, they were more like the Wild. Sure. There, uh, and they'd lock, lost Brock Besser. But yeah, I think that's a good analogy. The point is, is if they were there again now, we'd see it. Right? Like they were, they were further back than Washington is now last season. And the and the conversation right up until they blew a bunch of home games against bad teams like Detroit, right bef- and and Buffalo mm-hmm. right before the deadline was they're not sure they're going to be sellers, right? So, very seriously, I don't know if this organization, with the way they're wired, with the with the trademark win now desperation, short term interests overall, 
like I don't know that we'll ever see this Canucks team organization because it's not about Alvin or Rutherford. This transcends them, right? I don't know that we'll ever see this organization make those sorts of decisions, and I find that frustrating because how do you how do you out accumulate? How do you build a better roster? How do you rely on something more than luck to act, to ever get to the mountaintop if other teams are able to ruthlessly self-assess, pivot on a dime, and yeah. make decisive moves to help them in the future, and you're just, you know, constitutionally unable to behave that way. Well, and it's, again, I, I, I keep coming back to the speed of the decision-making because, and again, it's not just this new management group, but you just look back at some of these situations and how they've evolved, right, with JT Miller lingering on and on and on and going past pressure points, and then finally there's a, there's an extension right before the season starts, and it just seems like, you know, Brock Besser, how long have they been trying to find a trade partner? I understand that it's difficult. The, just go back to last summer and the attempt to try to clear salary cap space that never really materialized, and now even with Luke Shen. And again, that's not to say that they should be doing anything differently with Luke Shen. I think they're absolutely making the right move, but it's hard not to look at some of the teams that are able to make things happen and wonder Okay, is it just because the circumstances are different and more di- difficult for the Canucks, or is there something that those organizations are doing differently? And I think, you know, how many times have we heard from fans saying, I just want to see changes. I just want to see changes. And obviously that started with the Bo Horvat deal. That's something they got done early, right? That, yes, it lingered on into the season, but they made the deal at a very appropriate time, well before the deadline, so they get credit for that. But I do think there's this appetite for – just decisive decision-making, right? Like, okay, this is what we're doing, and boom, we're putting this plan into place right now. Rather than hemming and hawing and, oh, we'll see how it goes, we'll see what develops over the summer, just make the plan. That's one of the reasons I have been more okay with the idea of trading Brock Besser now, right? Because I understand there's the idea of, hey, hold him, you know, maybe he'll bounce back next year, certainly the year after that when he's an expiring, he'll have more value. I get that. But I also just think there's so much value to being decisive and starting to make your moves. So I see what you're saying, but I also think the way that term has been valued based on the prices being paid and the way that expiring players hold their value, even if they're wingers like Vladimir Tarasenko, to me makes Besser a probable hold. Like, I'm not saying you don't make a deal like that yeah. if one if the opportunity presents you, but retention, buyouts, yeah. devices like that, that should be off we the We agree table. on that. I think it all, uh, obviously... This club can't afford to it pay It all comes to down to what the actual contours of a Besser deal yeah. would look like. I think we agree on that. Yeah. I just see, I think I see a little bit more value than most people to certainty getting it done. You know sure. what I mean? Um, but it, oh, hold on. Do you yeah. have something else? Because I wanted to do the Kapanen stuff. Yeah, I was going to pivot okay. directly to Boom. it. Boom. Um, the Kapanen stuff. So, you know, I, I think the one of the trends, right, one of the trends that we're seeing to just sort of continue this conversation about uh, teams making trades and, and how those trades are looking, like, now that we've seen a bunch of these deals go down, one thing that sort of stands out to me is that um, the Canucks get a first, they get Ratu, and they get Beauvillier. And everyone else, like, Bo Horvat went for the biggest price in terms of the value of that first-round pick is a lot higher, in my mind, than the first-round pick that you're getting from the Boston Bruins oh. or from the New York Rangers. Yeah, of course. Right? Because there's there's real uncertainty with it. Um, so I'd still say that the Horvat trade is, like, the best one that we've seen. Uh, we also haven't seen another prospect of Ratu's quality move, right? So 
I want to note that as qualifiers. But as these deals keep coming in, like the Canucks are the only team that took term back in Beauvillier. And increasingly, it's looking like, you know, with Kapanen on waivers, for example, like this profile of player, right, 20 to 30 point middle six winger is like deeply distressed. The Canucks retained on Bo Horvat, and it wasn't clear that they got an additional pick for that, even though most of the other teams are getting like a full draft class. <laughs> you know, they, they are to, to do retention and to throw in a Nolachari. And they took term back, which no one else is doing. And in fact, anyone else who's doing is getting paid to do it on Beauvillier. Clearly, the Canucks valued Beauvillier in the deal, but also as these trades come out, Beauvillier's presence in the Horvat deal looks more and more different. I'm not criticizing the Canucks. I'm not saying it looks like an underpay or an overpay. It does, though, look like the Canucks weren't quite valuing committed term cap space in a way that most other teams around the league are. And the Kapanen on waivers thing. So Kasperi Kapanen, Pittsburgh Penguins winger, has 20 points this season, has struggled mightily. Pittsburgh Penguins are in an absolute death spiral, has been placed on waivers today. Yeah, uh, fire Hextall chance at uh, at Pittsburgh's brutal loss to Edmonton so, yeah, last night. So, yeah, it's getting grim in Pittsburgh. And obviously the natural question that a lot of Canucks fans have is, should the Canucks claim him? Jim, Rutherford di- Jim Rutherford's Penguins didn't just draft Kasperi Kapanen, but they then traded him for Phil Kessel. Worked out pretty well. Uh-huh. And then traded for him again, reacquired him. So this is clearly a player that Rutherford likes a lot. He fits a lot of Rutherford's um, preferences in terms of his style of play, in terms of the grittiness that he can play with when he's focused up. Uh, in, in the, terms speed of the speed is the big one. Yeah. So, you know, Kavanaugh's a totally fine player. Like, he's good. But he struggled this year, and he's now on waivers. Now, teams don't put a player on waivers as a first option. You exhaust all other options before you get to this point. And so that tells you what Kapanen's value is around the league. He's on waivers in part because the Pittsburgh Penguins are like, well, maybe someone will take him for free. And you know what? They're not going to. I think especially at this point in the season, when anyone, any team that has cap space is looking around and thinking, how can we get assets for using that cap space? Convincing somebody to take a Sperry Kapanen who's on, who has term for next year as well on waivers, I just don't see it happening. I don't either. So should the Canucks claim Kasperi Kapanen? I'm sure there's going to be people texting into the inbox saying, you know, asking the question. The answer is no. But that's not to say that Kapanen's not an interesting target for the Canucks to consider. In fact, to me, he's a more interesting target today going on waivers than he was previously. First, you got to let him clear, though. You got to let him clear because that shows the potential trading partner, the Pittsburgh Penguins in this instance, this shows them the score, right? This is the facts of life, proof positive. This player has no value. And once that happens, if you really like the player and were tempted to claim him, you then call back and say, well, what will you pay me to take him, right? You don't, if you claim him off waivers, that's free. I like free. Better than free is getting paid <laughs> to take the thing you want anyway, and that could potentially be on the table here, depending on how things play out with Pittsburgh. Additionally, additionally, you know, maybe you don't want to get paid to maybe maybe the Penguins aren't willing to pay you to take on Kapanen, but would they be willing to take money back? Right? That and and for a team that's been trying to move Brock Besser and trying to move Tyler Myers and trying to move Connor Garland and and has failed to. You know, Kapanen's a really interesting 
sort of distressed asset to consider, particularly because he only has one year remaining after this, right? That's shorter term than both Besser and Garland, even though he makes a little bit less. Is there a way to save yourself some years? Because at this point, that's how the Canucks should be thinking, right? It's You can't, this team doesn't have enough assets. They don't have enough prospects. They don't have enough draft picks. They don't have enough equity mm. to pay to get off of their mistakes. But if they could shorten the length of time that they have to wait for those mistakes to toll, right? If they could do what the Coyotes did effectively in purchasing $12 million worth of bad contracts, a, a veritable poo-poo platter from the Vancouver Canucks in the ekman Larson trade, like if they could find their version of that, well, that, that's interesting. Uh, Kapanen could be an opportunity there to do that, but first, you got to let him clear. I think the other thing, we'll take a quick break here, but the other thing with Elias Pettersson playing like this, those two slots next to Elias Pettersson, whoever gets to play on the wing of Elias Pettersson, they are going to produce. You look what Anthony Beauvillier has done with Pettersson and on power play one since he's come over. I think there's absolutely world a world where he's a valuable trade asset at the deadline next year as an expiring. I think Kasperi Kapanen could be in that exact same boat, especially if he gets an opportunity to play with Elias Pettersson. As you continue to look to the future to try to find more ways to get those assets to build that equity that you're talking about, man, the ability to take a player who's underperforming and put them with Elias Pettersson, who you know is going to boost their value. That's a really, really significant opportunity that the Canucks have. And I think Kaspanen is like, or Kapanen, excuse me, is like a perfect, perfect example of the player you could do that with. Kaspanen, or Kapanen is the perfect example of the player. Kaspanen, that's why I stepped over it, because Kaspanen's just a friendly ghost. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Up next, Sarah Sivian from Bleacher Report and the Too Many Men podcast. She joins the show. It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, it's Jamie Dodd. Drans had to step out mysteriously. <laughs> oh, there he is. He's back. I'm 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 out for roster management reasons. <laughs> oh boy. Hey, it's Friday. It's almost the weekend. Yeah, it's almost the let's weekend. Let's move along. Sarah Sivian, <laughs> coming keep up. it moving. Keep it moving. Yeah, Sarah Sivian from Bleacher Report and the Too Many Men podcast is going to join us to do a little trade deadline preview momentarily here. By the way, NHL trade deadline coverage brought to you by Maui Gym Sunglasses. Born on the beaches of Hawaii, Maui Gym Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. 
calm, and uh, I should note, looking ahead a little bit to next week, but we are going to have a special three-hour edition of Canucks Talk on Deadline Day, starting a little earlier, starting at 10 a.m., so we'll have you covered for the final two hours before the deadline, and then we'll do an hour of reaction from noon to one as well. So really looking forward to that. That's next week for our trade deadline coverage. And uh, to continue to help us preview the trade deadline, as mentioned, she writes for Bleacher Report. You also hear her on the Too Many Men podcast. She is Sarah Sivian. Sarah, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Of course, guys. I'm fantastic. How are you? We're doing very well. It's Friday afternoon, and we're having a ton of fun on the show so far, and we're very excited uh, to be chatting Speak with you. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I, I'm having fun. I'm, I'm having fun now that Sarah's here. Yes, very good. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, are we beefing? <laughs> never. Never, my friend. How goes it? Oh, it's good. Um, I'm just in Boston hanging out, my first trade deadline kind of covering all teams, so writing my little Patrick Kane takes. How are you? Um, yeah, no, doing well. Um, I'm covering the Canucks. Um, with regards oh. to the Boston Bruins, <laughs> wh- where you're located, uh, where you st- I'm, yeah, 20 minutes south of downtown, I guess. Lovely. 25 with traffic, as they say. <laughs> but yeah, my little parents' basement in the suburbs. It's been awesome, and the Bruins are brewing. Yeah. Well, you're back to your blogger roots, but did the Dmitry Orlov trade catch you as off guard as it appears to have caught Yarmo Kekalainen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had just finished logging 1,500 words about how they shouldn't trade with um, the, the Blue Jackets, so it was funny how I like, clicked <laughs> enter and then something else happened, but definitely prefer this to the alternative. I thought it was great to load up on more like complementary pieces instead of kind of going all into specific, like it's like a specific need that wasn't like nothing on this team is broken. So I feel like that's a perfect opportunity to actually go in on like extra pieces. Are the Bruins done? Do you think? I mean, they're in such a, a strong position going into the playoffs, and we all know that the future is uncertain for them. It feels like if there was ever a team that was going to go as all in as you can, uh, it would be the Bruins this year. Yeah, especially because of the uncertainty at the beginning of the season. Nobody thought, including them, that they were going to be as good as they are right now. So it's like, well, might as well go all in, especially when you think about the future and. Not much cooking with the prospects and a lot of one-year contracts and kind of the last hurrah for the core. But what does going all in mean, honestly? Because I feel like we get so wrapped up in going all in just to go all in. When you look at this team, to me, it seems like they're pulling off these records by loving, like, (laughs) not to be, like, corny, but loving each other so much and loving – the relationships in the room that maybe you don't want to disrupt that. You run the risk if you get someone like Kane of disrupting that a little bit too much and like the leadership group that has worked here for so many years. So I feel like going all in can also mean like, okay, making multiple trades that might address small issues that they have, which I think they already did. I wouldn't do anything else. You wouldn't do. So you think, so you would, if you were, Advising the Boston Bruins, you'd say you're out, you should be out on Luke Shen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like there's a reason I'm not in this position. <laughs> it really depends on the ask. I, I like what they did with Washington, where they did not give up 
one roster player other than Craig Smith, who they were mm. already trying to get rid of as it was. So I, I, I would be okay with something as long as it doesn't take away kind of another player, because I think they've done so well this season that it's kind of like, you don't want to mess with that too much. What appetite would the Bruins have, do you think, to move off of Mike Riley's money? Um, I'm sure they're hearing people out and, and listening to it. I don't, at a certain point, it's like you have your glue guys and trading one in for another. It's just kind of like the same thing. Like it's not going to make too much of a difference. So I, I do think they're always hearing people out, especially obviously you've seen they've been in on all the big names mm. and willing to throw out a guy like that for sure. But I don't, I don't think they're like, actively looking to release his cap, especially because they just did with Craig Smith, and that was $3.1 million that was kind of just sitting there, so they addressed that already. Do you think we'll see something else significant? Because this feels like the ultimate tomorrow doesn't matter, banners hang forever, go for it now, there is no tomorrow team uh, like I've ever seen. Like Honestly, there's no other team that I think should be as reckless as the Bruins should be over the next week leading up to the trade deadline. I think it's so funny how it's shaken out, right? Because you think that with the Bruins and they're kind of just tweaking little things. Meanwhile, you have the Rangers who are supposed to be better than they are right now for years to come. And they're like, we're just going to give everybody our first round picks. I'm not loving that with them. But if they go for Kane, I don't like that. But that's a story for a different day. Um, I Listen, I hear you on this, and I agree, just go all in. But what does that look like to you? Like maybe acquiring Meyer? I think I would like to see that, just get more scoring that's proven. But I think it's like we get so wrapped up in, oh, well, they might as well. It's kind of a logical fallacy where it's like, who is out there that's going to make this team significantly better? Yeah, especially at this point. And, I mean, you know, with Washington entering, that that added some interesting pieces onto the market. But, you know, Horvat has been moved, Ryan O'Reilly, Tarasenko, uh, a lot of the bigger names, with the exception of Timo Meyer, have been moved already. So I agree from Boston's perspective, you know, who is out there that would really demonstrably improve their team at this point. You know, you, you mentioned the possibility of Patrick Kane to the Rangers. That's a deal that looked like it was going to be dead when they did the Tarasenko deal, but now appears to potentially be back on. At this stage of Patrick Kane's career, how much is he bringing to the Rangers if he does indeed end up there? I think it's a huge question mark, which is the risk. But I thought it was hilarious that he saw all the speculation about his hip. He called it overblown, and then he's got like yeah. 10 points in five games or whatever it is, including a hat trick. I, I think the value of a guy like that is the kind of elite ability to turn it on when you actually like when the stakes are high. So I feel like maybe when it gets to a team, like like clearly he has his heart set on the Rangers. I don't know. So when he gets to a team like that, I feel like I trust him to turn it on, especially with the supporting cast in that top six. That's going to be absolutely sick, but I don't think he's worth the $10 million at all. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot like this trade deadline already. There's been so much cap maneuvering and finessing, and it's been awesome for the teams that are acquiring these players. It's like 75%, 80% off every time. So it kind of makes me pause where I was a hard no on Kane, just thinking about the cost, where is he going to fit? What's, 
what what else are they going to give up? But now it's kind of like, okay, if it's going to be a significant price reduction, I'm kind of here for it. I, I wouldn't like them to give up their second first round pick, but I guess if you have it, use it. And this is, I don't know. I, it's really going to be interesting to see it pan out. Yeah. And it does almost feel like Kane realized that his stock was down and almost felt like he needed yeah. to remind people like, Hey, I'm still, I can still help a team. I better get going here a little bit uh, before yeah, the deadline. Need that. <laughs> uh, especially after the Tarasenko deal it was almost like a wake up call yeah. uh, for him. I did want to ask you about, so we've already seen a lot of the Eastern conference teams make significant moves and start to load up. We really haven't seen it in the West, but one of the very, very good, teams in the east uh, who I know you're familiar with the Carolina Hurricanes haven't really made that move yet we've all heard Timo Meyer. is that the logical move that they have to do or are there are other things uh, that you could see them exploring as well I know I was talking to Rod Brindamore the other day and I was just like you feel like you have the team you need and obviously he said we did when Pacioretty came back but he yeah. barely played and then it, it sucks that he got injured again because he would have been such a great compliment to the team but now they have his $7 million off the book. So it's going to be really disappointing if they don't do anything, especially now that you're seeing how significantly the rest of the East is improving. And, like, you look over your shoulder and these teams that were already right there are getting even better and better by the second. So I don't know. I, I saw a podcast uh, Sarah Velli did with Tom Dundon, and he said he's actively looking for a lot. And usually Dundon doesn't really – say that like he'll say yeah we're kind of looking at a few things but I think they're pretty much in the Meyer race like I like I think I'd like to caution people to not believe that the Canes are going to go for a trade in the past but I think they could actually do this one and I think it's a disservice to the team they have right now if they don't. Sarah we were talking about Meyer on the show yesterday and talking about the idea that even if he was acquired as a rental and a deal couldn't get done, probably still have like 80% of his value this summer. Um, feels like the Canes would be a team that would kind of look at it that way. Uh, how, oh, do you, how do you think this yeah. would play out from their perspective? Oh, my God. There's probably going to be 17 loopholes that one of their random front <laughs> office guys finds because they work through these. Some of their, like, Niche front office guys are some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Like, they will figure out, they will be working until five in the morning finding these random loopholes. You saw it with kind of Nadelkovich. There's a few other examples of that. But it's a weird situation with Meyer, right? Where his contract could be matched at 10 million. So it's like, I know they'd want to avoid that, especially with kind of their core players' contracts are, are in a five year frame that's aging out. So, I could see this as a pure rental for sure, even though the Canes usually don't like that or seeing how it goes. I do know that they want to keep Pacioretty and they've really loved kind of the attitude he's brought. So it might be kind of a, okay, we'll use you until Pacioretty gets better and then we'll stick to that guy. In conversation with Sarah Sivian of Bleacher Report and the Too Many Men podcast here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 6. 50. You know, I mentioned a lack of activity in the Western Conference so far. I mean, why do you think that is? Because, look, somebody is going to have to represent. I understand the East looks a lot stronger this year, but somebody from the West is going to make it to the Stanley Cup final. Do you see a team that almost, because there hasn't been that much activity yet, should be looking to to, to load up a little bit more uh, for the playoff run? 
I know. Well, it's interesting because now San, or no, who is it? Um, St. Louis is saying they mm. want Meyer too. I'm like, oh God, here we go with other rumblings <laughs> and grumblings. But I, I don't know. It's funny how it's shaking out where it's like the sellers are the teams on the West Coast because that's just the way like their team structure has gone the past years. And then obviously they don't want to like go in conference if they can avoid it. But maybe Chicharin will go to the Kings. Maybe that type of situation will happen. I think it's important to – I would like to see the, the Kings get another defenseman, and I think he perfectly fits the bill in that situation. But it is different, like, and it's interesting, the dynamics of the East and the West because I've been looking at it, and, like, the East playoff, like, wild card race is absolutely insane right now, whereas it's more spread out in the West where, like, you have your good teams and your bad teams. And I think – there's more teams in the East that could potentially make a run at it, which is why you're not seeing them like sell everything quite yet. Do you think the defensive market was just waiting on Boston? Cause it feels like everyone's been in a staring contest, like ever since Jacob Chickeran left the lineup, which was what three weeks ago now, three years ago, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, this poor guy has been in trade talks for literally three years. Everyone's spelling and pronouncing his name wrong, including me. Like, when will he be released? I don't know. But, yeah, and that's not how it should work. Like, I I heard that um, the Blue Jackets GM was a little salty about the Bruins' Don Sweeney backing out at last second. And it's just like, this is not how a professional – sports situation should be run like I think it's it's business and we should not be like holding our breath looking at each other being like oh we're waiting for this person to make a move like you go in there and make that move especially this year I do think it's improving in the NHL like it's not even it's a week out from the actual deadline and there's been several big names moved so I feel like maybe this year will set some sort of precedent especially with the cap maybe set your eyes in the next few years it's like a preview of people not being afraid to go get it. But at the same time, there are certain GMs stuck in their ways and kind of kind of waiting. But the waiting game isn't always lucrative, clearly. Hey, sir, one other team I wanted to ask you about. They had a debacle of a performance at home last night. Uh, fans were chanting, fire Hextall, about Ron Hextall, the general manager there. What do you think Pittsburgh should or will do ahead of the deadline? Oh my God, that's a great question. I oh, I think it might just be. I don't know. As long as Sidney Crosby is there, is there, you kind of have to make an effort to get the team into the playoffs. I think maybe one more playoff run would be nice. It seems like it's kind of falling apart here in the past few weeks, but Washington's been falling apart too. So it's kind of like if you, I, I, I don't. I'm usually really, like, trigger-heavy on, okay, go. It's time for a Mm. rebuild, and I've loved what the Blues have done. Kind of, okay, let's be real here. Let's give up O'Reilly and Tarasenko at this point. But I think in a situation where you still have a generational great and you still have that core together, I think it's more of, like, out of principle. You might want to just stay. And, like, how fickle the East is right now, like, you might just want to stay the course for a little bit. I am not saying like get some huge acquisition, but I do think maybe like don't be a seller. Mm. 
Uh, just before we let you go, Sarah, uh, when we uh, we said you're gonna we were gonna have you on on Twitter, and we got this question from Josephine on Twitter. Of course, you do the best dressed NHL lists for Bleacher Report, and uh, a Canucks fan, Josephine, wants to know uh, if Elias Pettersson has ever been close to making an appearance on one of your lists. He's made it at least once, and I'm gonna say twice. He is really good with the little sneaker suit combination, and I, he has more like streetwear style that you're not going to find um, kind of walking into the rink. So that gets tricky where it's like, I try to make it strictly like people walking mm. into the rink. I really loved his fashion sense away from the rink. Um, I think it's funny because like I keep track of this and like the trends and stuff. And it's like when a team starts playing really well, all of a sudden this random guy will have like a, a few really good suits. Like that was Cole Caulfield in, the end of last season with the Habs, he randomly got hot and started wearing all these, like, really good suits. So I feel like some of the bad teams, and you also don't want to, like, photographers don't always want to, like, photograph teams' outfits when they're not playing well because then all the comments are like, well, (laughs) who cares about this? It's like, I care. But it kind of creates this thing where the Canucks aren't always making the rankings through no fault of their own. But... Pedersen is obviously like one of the most stylish guys in the league, and I like his streetwear. I, I appreciate the idea of like the performative anger thing in the NHL impacting fashion choices. Oh yeah. Oh, it, I'm I'm sure that it does. Especially like there was one time where Pasternak like just wasn't being photographed for a few weeks. I literally texted the Bruins and was like, "Is he okay? Like I'm gonna talk about this in the rankings, but I want to make sure like." He's not annoyed or aggravated or there's a situation going on behind the scenes. And they're like, no, we're just not taking pictures of him. I'm like, all right, I'm crazy, but I know there's something there. Uh, Sarah, I love it. That was a fantastic answer. I hope uh, I hope Josephine is, is satisfied with it. And uh, thanks very much for coming on with us today. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. That is Sarah Sivian. You can read her at Bleacher Report and, of course, here as part of the Too Many Men podcast. I like a, an inverse – you know, you always hear – like look good, feel good, play good, right? So it's it flows that direction. But Sarah's suggesting an inverse relationship where once you start playing good, first you play good, and then you almost you earn the right to look good, Drance. I mean, we got to get rid of the suits thing. I, I've seen some teams have moved to like a team issued tracksuit that you can wear on the plane. Because do you know about this? Do you know that like NHL teams, you have to show up on the plane in your suit and then everyone puts on sweatpants I, and then they change again in their seats and put I suits back on? I did not know on? that. That's incredible. It's one of the weirdest That's things I've ever seen. incredible. It doesn't make sense. Like, it, it, you know, I think about, do you, do you ever read Theo Epstein's? Um, boring. You're boring, everybody. Quit boring, everyone. Wow. You, sorry, you think people find this boring? No, I think the fashion thing is boring. Oh, the like the what they wear. I see. I was gonna say that was pretty. That was pretty strong, Tom. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I make one mistake. Guy <laughs> over here thinks he can dunk on me. <laughs> no, Dom. I don't know what you're saying. People are fascinated no, about no, no, life no. in the Dom NHL. Dom is saying the NHL players have boring fashion. Sense. Oh, that's okay. what you yeah, said. No, good take, yeah, Dom. Yeah, yeah. I take it all back. <laughs> Dom, as usual. Hey, you know what? By the way. Producer Dom, everyone knows his fashion style is sick. That's so true. It's amazing. I'm not even, he always thinks I'm being sarcastic because I deliver it in a sarcastic way, but yes. he, I wonder why. <laughs> he has such sick gear. Anyway, um, so some teams are beginning to move away 
from that ludicrous like yeah. button down suit thing. But man, who cares? Do you ever do you ever read the Theo Epstein Yale commencement speech? I can't say that I have. No. Are you serious? I don't think so. Okay, well, I recommend to everyone listening to this program if you're a fan of sports, period. Okay? Mm-hmm. Theo Epstein's commencement speech to Yale University after the Cubs won the World Series is an essential piece of reading for anyone interested in competitive sports, anyone who's played them previously, anyone who's just interested in like leadership. And his his line is if you look hot, flaunt it, which is like if you look hot, flaunt it. Do do you. Be you. Be comfortable with who you are because we need you to be who you are if we're going to win as a group. I'd love for an NHL team to get there. And one last thing, Rick Tockett, Canucks head coach. His staff was the staff that didn't wear suits in the bubble on the bench, remember? Mm-hmm. They wore they wore oh, bench yeah. coats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had like the the group outfit. So right? take, take, let's let's go, Rick. You've, Interesting. You've already gone halfway in the past during the pandemic. You didn't want to give up your sweatpants. None of us did, but we're all in hard pants now. Get rid of. We're the dress all code. in hard pants now. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Sorry. Do you not call them? Hard I pants? do not call them hard pants. No. Okay. T- inbox. Tell tell Jamie that hard pants is a thing. And sure. Not, is it just a thing in my house? I don't know. I've never heard that. Dom is saying it's just a thing in your house. I have never heard anybody <laughs> call them hard pants before. <laughs> Yeah, you have sweatpants, and then you have the stuff you wear outside. That's hard pants. Okay, sure. <laughs> I think most people just call them pants. <laughs> Sorry, are you guys like? Obviously, I also just call them pants. But I've never, I've never heard the expression, or or certainly used it. Dom. So the <laughs> NHL teams walk onto the plane in their hard in their pants, hard pants and well, they take them off. Dress pants aren't like hard, but yeah, they're hard pants. Like <laughs> dress pants, jeans. Anything you would wear out comfortably are hard pants. Is six fifty six fifty in bucks? Tell me if I'm off my. We will here. see. I can't say I've ever heard that one. Oh, <laughs> hey, we got a text in. Hard pants is a thing. Thank you. So what? At least one person has heard of hard pants. Thank you. This it, is. It might be I'm my going wife. down a rabbit hole here. It might here. be my wife. Because somebody else says, not one time in my 29 years have I heard hard pants. I've definitely heard hard socks before. <laughs> What on earth would that even mean? Those sound terrible. <laughs> Why would you wear hard socks? All right. Well, this is a great Friday show. Already. Producer Lena says hard pants is not a thing. I promise you. I trust are. Lena. I trust Lena. I, I do too. This. Lena. Lena's making me question she knows. In my opinion. Um. All right. Six fifty. Six fifty. Continue to weigh in on hard pants. Is that a thing or not? Or is, is Drance just making it up? Uh, Dave Notice. We're not going to run this past him. <laughs> we'll put. A, we'll be on our best behavior for Dave Notice. Uh, former Canucks general manager. He's up next. It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Fun Friday show. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Dratz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, and we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we have two votes for have heard of hard pants and... 95 a lot more, <laughs> a lot more for have not but heard let's of go let's pants. go let's go to the ombudsman 
Let's go to the ombudsman, producer Dom. Well, Dom's Dom's busy oh, okay. getting our next guest. But Dom looked it up on dictionary.com and found that there is a dictionary yeah, definition. Yeah, but I mean, uh, dictionary.com is not really going to get done for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it is a thing. <laughs> okay. It's a thing for sure. I do like one person says, I'm totally going to use hard pants now. Thanks, Trance. So one person hadn't heard of it, but is a, a convert now. Yeah. You're I mean, spreading the good word. I think more than anything, it's like a term I use for like, uh, I'm, I'm in my uncomfortable clothing. My like, I have to go do stuff clothing yeah yeah yeah. somebody said i call them going out pants yeah that's yeah. yeah that's what i mean hard pants are going out pants and like what what do you do when you get home you change into your comfy pants yes but see to me hard pants the going out pants are the default the comfy do pants you, the staying the you staying chill, in pants you chill in you your call. jeans uh sometimes yeah me too i'll usually change eventually i'll change into like pj pants yeah yeah okay Fair. we got we got to uh we got to smart we got to pretend this conversation yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretend we're doing serious hockey talk now uh because we're very pleased to be joined once again as we are regularly here on the show he's the former canucks general manager dave nonis dave thanks as always for doing this how are you i'm good thanks how are you guys doing we're doing very well we're having a, a great time on friday afternoon and look we're one week out from the trade deadline this is one of the most entertaining parts of the year i know for us for fans as well and one of the interesting things we've seen start to develop uh over the last week or so is team a team like washington that is still within the playoff hunt deciding to be a seller but not because they're going to do a full-on tear down and rebuild they might even flip some of these assets to try to help them for next season what do you make of a team kind of trying to potentially do two things at once sell and get some assets but also immediately uh, add talent at the same time at the same deadline yeah i mean washington's a pretty good example of that obviously you know they still are in the playoff hunt um but yeah i think you have to be realistic of where your team is at and i think when they're looking at their club right now uh they don't see themselves necessarily as a as a cup contender, it doesn't mean that they're they're not going to try to go for it again next year. Quite frankly, I think that they will, given the contracts that they've got and some of those players, you know, regardless of their age, they're still high end players. So, I do believe that they'll try to retool and 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 take a run at it again next year. But I think they're being realistic as to where their team is at right now, and if they can get some assets for players that are you know not, will not necessarily be with them uh, next year, uh, Orloff is a you know, obviously, as a guy who was a um, uh, unrestricted free agent, so they're getting some assets for it. That'll help them retool a little bit quicker. And, and uh, again, I think it's you, you really just have to take a look at where you are and then make some some uh, solid decisions about what you want to do with the deadline. Dave, I'm curious because we've known it's been well reported for a long time that Boston was prioritizing defense in trying to further bolster their roster and. Over the course of this month, we've seen, you know, Chikorin was uh, first sat down for trade protection like three weeks ago. Uh, Gavrikov's been out for like two weeks. Luke Shen's, we're, we're coming on a full work week since the Canucks pulled Luke Shen. Um, is this a situation, and does it ever unfold like this, where the whole market's just kind of waiting for like the most motivated buyer to make a move and, and things will kind of go from there? Yeah, no, no question. I mean, there's only so many chairs that uh, people can sit in, and so, so I, I think that yeah, that often that is the case. You, you know, you're waiting to see if the if your number one choice lands on your lap, and the, the team that you're dealing with uh, accepts what you're putting out there, um, or does does uh, he go somewhere else, and you have to look at, you know, um, option two or three. So yeah, that can definitely happen where one player um, holds up the, the whole market. 
Um, and and I, I think that's probably somewhat true right now with, with uh, some of the players that are being held out. Um, I think some of them are probably close to being dealt, uh, and others might not be. I mean, it's been a long time since Jacob Chikrin has been, a, you know, on the ice, uh, and he's still, you know, they're still holding him out. Whether they're holding him out because they have two or three teams that are uh, they're trying to leverage, um, or they just don't have the offer that they, you know, that they're willing to take. Dave, I, I, in thinking about this deadline uh, over the past few weeks and for another week anyway. The Bruins strike me as particularly fascinating because, look, uh, they've lost eight games in regulation in 57, but also you've got Bergeron, Krejci, and Pasternak all expiring. Like, I can't think of another team that I've ever seen that should be, you know, as all-in to the point of recklessness, (laughs) like like forget tomorrow, as this year's Boston Bruins. Have you ever been in, in a situation even remotely like this? No, no, this, this is definitely for me. It's uncharted waters. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I really like what Don Sweeney is doing. Uh, and it, you know, you put it, uh, succinctly, I think that they're, they're all in because they have to be, mm-hmm. I mean, their, their roster is not getting younger. Um, you don't know how many of these guys will be back next year. If any of them that are, you know, that are, uh, uh unrestricted, uh, they have an excellent uh, thing going right now. So I, I think it was incumbent upon him to spend what he had to spend to, in order to bolster the roster. Now, not saying that that what he gave up, um, you know, isn't uh, worth a lot because it still is a first round pick, but mm. and and other picks. But quite frankly, Boston's first round pick isn't going to be the same as, you know, it's not going it's not going to be fifteen. It's probably right. going to be you know, twenty eight to thirty two. That still you know should land you a pretty good prospect, but. I think when you calculate what that cost really is to the Boston Bruins, it's definitely worth it in my opinion. And I think I think he's done a very good job of of adding to the depth of that team. That that's really what they added is is solid depth. I mean, th- these are good players they added, but you know now they have eight defensemen, and you know I've always felt that you need eight defensemen to go a long way in the playoffs. And in you know, Boston right now, they have that. Dave. <sighs> The going all in thing, right? Like the really pushing your chips in thing. Um, how careful do you have to be about timing that as a general manager? I think very careful. Mm. I mean, you know, there's it's almost like a little playbook that you see some of these teams do. You, you're going to build the core of your team generally through the draft, maybe a few um, timely free agent signings. Uh, then you have that core get stronger and develop. And then when that window opens up, it, then you try to go for it. And uh, if you go for it too early, mm. you're, you're wasting assets. Your, t- if your team isn't quite ready to make that, that big step. Then, you know, going all in uh, can really do a lot of damage to your franchise for a long period of time. But, you know, last year, Colorado is a good example. They, they may not have got, the sexiest names, but they got the important names that uh, they needed to add to help them win. And, and that was their version of going all in. They had the core, the window was open and, and they, they went for it and they won. And so I think it, you know, you're going to see some teams, obviously you're going to see some teams go, whether it's all in or be very aggressive that are going to be extremely disappointed. That happens every year. But I do think if you're, if you're a team that clearly has a chance to win, and again, your window isn't going to be open for that much longer, like the Boston Bruins. Uh, then that's definitely time to to take a run at it. And, and one of the the flip side of that, right, the decision to really push your chips in and, and go for it, is the decision 
when you're maybe not a clear-cut seller, but you also know this isn't going to be your year and you have to make the tough decision to sell, even if you're still maybe on the fringes of the playoff race. You know, We talked about Washington. St. Louis has made that decision with O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Nashville could be another team. How difficult is that decision to say, you know what, maybe we could make the playoffs, but it's the best thing for the future to, to actually be a seller at the deadline? Yeah, you know, again, it, it really depends on what stage your your team is at. And you mentioned one club that I think did a gr- really good job of recognizing where they're at, and that's St. Louis. Uh, you know, they 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 could have pushed hard. You know, Doug Armstrong may have been able to swing a deal that would have given them a spark, and and you know, there was an outside chance they could make the playoffs. I think he looked at that team and said, even if we make the playoffs, we're we're not we're not a challenger. We're not we're not a contender, and. Um, I want to be a contender. I mean, that, that's that's what they did. How they looked at it, they're realistic about where their club was, and they've you know they pulled off some some really good deals, in my opinion. You know, they those players are good players, and the teams that acquired them, I think they're going to be very happy that they got them. But I think that uh, that St. Louis maximized the return uh, for those two players, and I think that they'll have a couple more up their sleeve um, before the deadline's over. And St. Louis is fascinating because, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Like, they looked at it and they realized correctly they're not going to be contenders. But we've also seen, and, you know, Canucks fans got a glimpse of it last night, since they've made those deals, there's a lot of friction. There's a lot of tension there. Craig Berube not happy with the players that remain. The players that remain might not be happy that uh, some of the other good players on the team have been traded can you let that affect, right, the effect of selling players that it's going to have on the guys who remain? Can you let that affect what you do as a general manager, or do you just have to kind of set your sights on the future and not worry about what the players are going to think? Well, you really can't worry what they're going to think, but I, I know I remember my last year in Toronto, we were sellers, and after the after the deadline was over, you know, the message that I gave to the players what, you know, the, is that the next 30 games that you're going to play, 28 games, whatever is remaining – you know, you're going to be judged by how you perform and not just necessarily about your points, but your work ethic and how you're going to, you know, how you're going to be perceived by other clubs. So um, I, I get what, you know, Craig Berube's feeling. Um, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of letdown with some of those players, but it's, you know, it's still important that they've put their best foot forward and it doesn't mean they're going to win any more games, but I think the compete level is what, you know, teams want to look for, which coaching staffs want to look for. Um, and when you're when you're a seller, um, it's difficult and it can be hard on the players. But sellers, if they do it the right way, and again, St. Louis is a good example, you're doing that to try to get uh, competitive a lot quicker. You're trying to, you're doing it so that you can become a contender in a shorter amount of time than just keeping your own draft picks and, and you know b- building it from within. Adding those extra pieces is very important if you want to do it quicker. Dave. The hard cap has very clearly um, formed <laughs> this deadline to this point, uh, the 10 or so trades we've seen over the course of the past month. Um, big prices are obviously being paid to offload term and money. I'm thinking about the Zaitsev deal, but also big prices have been paid to teams to retain salary, whether as a third-party broker or if you're the team selling. Um do some of these prices surprise you at all, or, or or does the reluctance that teams have to commit to term of any kind, even if it's attached to useful players, uh, surprise you? Well, again, term is is a, a blessing and a curse. Um, <laughs> you know, if you can, if you have a player at a at a good number, and he, you're pretty comfortable that he's going to be 
um, valuable throughout all the remaining years in his contract, uh, then you're, you know, that player, you don't have any problem taking that, that player on. Unfortunately, most of those players aren't available. Most of the players with term that are going to get moved, um, they're not looked at as players that are, are going to be good in the last year or two of their contract. There's, that's why they're being moved. So that's where it gets, it gets tricky. That's where you need to have some other um, avenues to try to get deals done. You talked about the bankers, you know, the third parties. Uh, I think that's going to become more and more prevalent and, you know, someone has to pay that price. And it's, it, it, this never happened 20 years ago, but it is definitely something that's a, a function of the cap and being able to create cap space is very difficult. The one way of doing it is to pay for it. And I think that's going to become more and more prevalent. Uh, and we'll see more deals between now and the deadline that, that are going to have a third party involved. In conversation with Dave Nonis, former Canucks general manager here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. One of the other things we've seen uh, repeatedly here leading up to the deadline is teams trading kind of a marquee player, uh, but also including more of a depth acquisition with that player. And, you know, with Tarasenko, Mikola went as well. With Ryan O'Reilly, it was Noel Achari. And now Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway both going to Boston. When you're doing a deal like that, just take us through the process of kind of building it out. Because sometimes on the outside, we look at it as, okay, the first was for Tarasenko, and then the third or whatever, the other, the mid-round pick was for Mikola. Do the general managers talking about it kind of build it in that way? Or how do you kind of fold players into a, a larger deal like that yeah i mean there's a couple couple ways of looking at it uh yes you know they may look at it and say okay Mikolas was worth a third uh this is the value that i'm, I'm putting on him as part of a bigger deal um and so you, you do want to make them you know sometimes make them uh make sense internally um but uh, you know this goes back to my first couple of years in in vancouver with pat quinn that was a big part of of his trades it was what is the extra piece we're going to get? You know, what what can we add that might help us uh, down the line? I mean, um, not that he was a great player for us, but a good example was when uh, trade that Pat pulled off for St. Louis, and you know he added Nathan Lafayette, who was a fringe player, uh, was a fringe NHL player his whole career, but we needed someone that, that played kind of his style. We were a little bit. Uh, I think lacking in depth and, and Nathan came in and gave us a great playoff. I think he played 20 playoff games uh, and you know, the 94 uh, run to the finals. So it, often trades, uh, the, what tips the scales might be the extra pick. It might be the prospect that's thrown in there. And a lot of the GMs that have had long-term success, I mean, Lula Amaro has been outstanding at it is getting something extra in a deal. And it's not always going to turn out to be, you know, a difference maker, but every once in a while you hit it and, you know, you look back and say it was pretty important that we, you know, we stuck to our guns and waited to, to get that extra piece. Dave, you bring up Pat Quinn and I want to go a little bit off the board. This might be apocryphal, but I, I figured you'd, uh, you'd be able to tell us about it. Uh, the story goes, or, or as I've heard it, is uh, Pat or Brian goes and visits one of the NFL teams front offices and they had like a war room with everyone's depth chart on the wall and that hadn't been a thing in hockey previously Quinn ends up building one uh and and sort of using it uh during trade deadline during free agency as sort of a nexus of operations true or untrue what was it like to operate in that room no that is true um and it it wasn't Pat that went it was it would have been Brian Mm. um and yeah I think they were they were impressed with 
uh, with how the NFL teams had done it and how they had you know, listed every single player, rankings, ratings. Uh, it, it actually even got more uh, involved years later. I ended up going to uh, uh, Indianapolis um, to their training camp, and it had evolved from not just a wall, but it was, you know, obviously analytics started to become mm. more important in all sports, but they were reviewing that as well, where you had a player um, up on the wall and they would have a, just like a like a can of beer. It was a you know a best before <laughs> it was a best before date, and and they would wow. have a calculation based on how many hits the player had in college, how many concussions they may have had. Uh, a whole host of things went into their analysis, but they would have a, a date that they thought that that player could play until, and they lived with it. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that I know Brian was really big on about taking from other other teams the you know the the wall itself and. Um, using it, uh, that was one of them, and, and it, it definitely evolved over the last 25 years. Dave, can you give us a sense of what the next week is like for the 32 individuals sitting in, in NHL general managers' chairs? Um, how stressful is it? Uh, when and how often do you eat? Like, how, What does the week look like from a workflow perspective for hockey operations uh, executive leadership around the continent right now? Yeah, everyone's doing things a little bit differently because, again, if you're a buyer or a seller, if you're in between. Um, but I always, I love the week leading up to the deadline. I think it's an exciting time for everybody, including the managers. Uh, you're trying to, you know, again, if you're trying to add, you're looking at uh, the prices you're willing to pay. You're you're talking to your staff. You're talking to teams daily. Uh, when you get close to the deadline, you probably, you know, you're not leaving the rank very often. You're you're basically staying there because uh, you never know when something comes through. You know, as many a time you sat there and nothing ever happened. But um, all the managers right now are, are they're on the phone pretty much continuously, uh, and they're, they're trying to see what might change over the next week uh, in terms of of what they can add or what prices uh, they might be able to extract extract from other clubs. Dave, really appreciate the time and the insight as always. Uh, next time we talk to you, the dust will have settled on the trade deadline. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks, that Dave. Dave Nonis, former Canucks general manager, joining us here as he does on a regular basis on Canucks Talk. And I'm sorry to disappoint everybody who texted in uh, who wanted us to ask Dave whether or not he was wearing hard pants. And I, I simply respect our guest too much to subject him to the silliness that we subject ourselves to. Not our next guest, though. We'll, we'll, we'll run hard pants past Dimitri uh, Filipovich. I, I actually think we should draft types of pants. <laughs> we might have to do that. We might have to do that. Uh, before we get to Dimitri in the final segment of the week, quick update. Canucks are practicing right now. They're back in Vancouver. Of course, they play the Bruins. Yeah, the Bruins tomorrow. Uh, per our Tough. guy... Probably slightly harder level of competition than uh, what St. Louis offered them last night. Uh, per our guy, Brendan Batchelor, uh, says only 16 skaters on the ice for what appears to be a somewhat optional Canucks skate. Pedersen, Miller, Hughes, Bear are absent. The goalies are Demko and Colin Delia. Uh, Luke Shen, one of the players on the ice for the Canucks. So I wouldn't read that in and say he's going to get back in the lineup now all of a sudden. It makes sense that he's there practicing with the team to me. Uh, now that they're back home, but notable that, you know, tomorrow, if he does in fact sit out, that'll be his third game, uh, for Luke Shen. And I don't know. I mean, do you have a read on what, if anything, the Orlov trade means for a potential Luke Shen 
trade to get uh, resolved? Well, presumably they'd still want right side depth. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, it's a different need. Like yeah. it's the same position, but it's fill. It's checking a different box. Yeah. Like when you get down the Bruins depth chart and sort of figure out who are they going to play, who's drawing out of the lineup. Like it isn't easy. But you you know you'd think there are three lefties now are Orlov, Greslick, and Lindholm. Right. Clifton can play the um, left side as Forbert can play the right. Um, but I think they'll want Forbert in the lineup. And then you put Carlo and McAvoy. But, I mean, it's just – it's hard to figure out would they still want additional Carlo insurance? Um, you know, maybe, maybe. I, I, I think more than anything, this probably just removes – a like, in terms of impacts of the Orlov trade on the Canucks, I think it removes a suitor who had been in the mix for Shen. Mm -hmm. And it potentially adds another right-handed option in Nick Jensen – into a lean market, which was likely to help Shen's value. Um, you know, so in that way, I do think there's a possibility that it impacts it, maybe even significantly, but, uh, you know, I still think they're going to get a, a decent haul for Shen, and I still think they're going to try and fold it into a larger deal. I also think it's, it seems like almost we're back to square one in terms of the defense market a little bit because it felt like the Gavrikov thing was what was holding it up, and then all of a sudden... They're back to square one because they the destination they thought where Gavrikov was going is off the market. So, like, what are they going to do now? And and will Luke Shen be moved before that starts to get the yeah, ball rolling? And I think when the when the industry itself thinks something's going to happen, it's like, you know, everyone's like beginning to pair off at the club, and then the lights come on. Everyone's like, oh, and the, and it takes everyone a second to figure out their plans. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, again, Luke Shen on the ice at Canucks practice today. We will see what his status is tomorrow against the Bruins. Coming up next, Dmitry Filipovich. Uh, he's the host of the Hockey PDO cast. Hard pants and more with Dmitry. That's coming up next. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Oh boy, what's going on? Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's the final segment of the week. Mercifully. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. This show's been an adventure. Oh boy, uh, we're coming to you live from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, as always, joining us for the final segment of the week, our guy, you hear him on the Hockeypedia cast, Dmitry Filipovich. What's going on, man? Happy to be here, guys. <laughs> I've heard uh, I've heard Tom's about to pitch us on hard pants. Well, I don't know about a pitch, but just... I th have I just you said, heard of it? Well, have you heard of the concept? No, well, that's why I need the elevator pitch, because I've never heard of this concept. When you get home, you put your sweatpants on to be comfortable. Yes. And you take off your hard pants. And then when you're going out to do anything, you put on less comfortable pants unless you're going for like a walk with your dog or something. Yeah. And and so that's those are hard pants. You put hard pants out on when you go out into the world and they're less comfortable than the ones you wear at home. That's it. Okay. Hard pants, sweatpants. I get the concept, but I've just never heard the terminology. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it's a thing. Like dictionary.com says it is. So I think I think this isn't just me. <laughs> I this is a digression, but my mom my 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 dear mom had a patent for like a towel that would go on a child's head to keep them warm after a uh, after a shower, and they were called a head cozy. 
and when I was in elementary school, like I grew up w- wearing this like towely doily on my head called a head cozy and i just thought that was normal and i remember i was in like kindergarten and they were like what are things you'd find in the bathroom and i was like head cozies and everyone in the class looked at me like i was <laughs> nuts that's basically the experience i've just had like i really thought hard so this is a regular stuff. thing for you basically <laughs> this is what you're saying this is not the first time it's happened this is reliving childhood trauma right now <laughs> this is a regular thing for yeah. me um so let's get this back on the rails or not uh the boston bruins Speaking of hard pants. Speaking of hard pants, the Boston Bruins are the hardest pants around. Um, do you like the Orlov fit for them? I love it, especially. It's way better than the other options, right? Sure, for sure. Well, I thought the Chikorin one made sense for them, but certainly better than Gabrikov. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays like exactly the way they've been wanting to play, especially under Jim Montgomery. Like very active blue line, play super aggressively all over the ice, activate. He's He's one of my like favorite players to watch, and I think one of the most underrated guys because he's never played on that top power play in Washington, so he just never puts, puts up the points. Like I think his career high is like thirty nine points or something mm. this season. But he, I think for my money, he's like a, a legitimate top pairing defenseman. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. With uh, Garnet Hathaway too. Now, now they're in the enviable position of AJ Greer being the next guy up, and AJ Greer is actually good. Mm. Um, what sort of impact does he make on their depth, do you think? Yeah, he's had really good defensive metrics in particular, and he's like, you know, I don't I don't want to get into, like, spewing all those playoff tropes. The bromides. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, he's, like, very difficult to play against, gritty, tough, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, I th- he's one of those players where, like, I think every opposing fan base really dislikes him, and then his fan base, the team he's playing for, like, really enjoys his work. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sure he's going to fit in perfectly on that Bruins fourth line. How big is the gap for you between the Bruins and whoever is like number two in your Stanley Cup power rankings right now? Yeah, I think Dom Lushishin has him at like 33% to win the Cup yeah, that's, after this trade, that's which wild. I think is higher than even like that 2018-19 Lightning team that obviously wound up yeah. getting swept in round one, but they had 128 points in the regular season. Yeah, I think the Avs in the next year, 1920, where they lost to yeah. Dallas, the, the Kivaranta game. I think they peaked at like twenty five percent, and I don't think they anyone got close last year. Yeah, if they play like the Red Wings in round one or something as the second wildcard oh. team, like they're gonna it's gonna absolutely slaughter them. Is there an Eastern Conference playoff bubble team that can give them a series? Well, I think a series against the Sabers would actually be pretty fun. Like the Sabers do it not would end have, quickly though. It would be a sweep probably. But there'd be like two games where the Sabers went up like four one or something, and then right. the Bruins had to come back. So I think they'd be like pushed in terms of like in-game settings, but in terms of like the actual series, they just don't have them. Islanders. I don't think so, man. Like I watching that game they played against them recently, like they just were like skating laps around them. You, you don't think they can get Sorokin? They could. I mean, it could happen in any playoff series. I think, yeah, maybe that might be the best bet. I just don't. There's not enough talent there. My Panthers. Your Panthers. I mean, Kachuk Marchand is the playoff series sideshow the league needs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That more than anything is is why uh, is why I think everybody should be hoping we get that. We had uh, we had Sarah Sivian on earlier, and she kind of said, "Look, unless you figure out some way to get Timo Meyer as well, the Bruins are so good. Maybe you just let it ride at this point." Do you see like if you outside of Timo Meyer, do you see the logic in making even more additions for the Bruins? Oh no, I mean I I think they're out. Like if you, I guess they could conceivably move Mike Riley's contract as well and add. Yeah. I just don't really if you look at 
you can never have too much because there's gonna be injuries and it's good to have other options and depth and all that i just like what would you even add at this point maybe like another scoring winger like just team i mean timo meyer to bump trent frederick out of the lineup but i mean truly like you're at the point where even if you're trying to like figure out who to replace in the Bruins lineup with an additional um like ad <clears throat> you're bumping out like a really good bottom six player like Trent Frederick who's like super valuable for them yeah no you're right yeah I mean it would be a pure luxury item which like isn't a bad idea the, like it's good to have options. if any team should should do it for one year it's this one yes like yeah. I've, I've never seen a team where complete and utter recklessness in terms of what they buy at the deadline is not just like warranted, but the smart thing to do. Yeah, well, I, they shouldn't make a draft pick in the first three rounds for two years. After the after the way they looked last year, I know they pushed Carolina like to a seventh game in, in round one. I just like thought they they didn't have the juice anymore. Right? Yeah, like that. And and to see this performance is is truly stunning. Uh, moving on. Sorry, sorry. Okay. I don't want to move on yet. I want right, I want to ask the funniest question okay. of the hit. So, how do the Canucks match up with the Bruins? <laughs> I've literally been looking forward to saying that since we started. That's an amazing question. This is this is why they, this is why we pay you the big bucks. Okay, off. fine. Now we can move Did on. You Sorry, watched the Jamie. game against Seattle last night, or see catch any of it? I, I caught a little bit. Unbelievable. I was really focused so on fun. the Canucks game, and oh, then yeah, the, that's true. And then the um, WCC. Sorry, I was going to say the West Coast Conference really <laughs> caught your attention after that for some reason. They really really captured your attention. Um, okay, Dallas on Monday. Now still at the top of their division, still near the top of the conference, but scuffling a little bit. Two wins in their last 10 something or nothing for Dallas. What do you mean? The struggles. The like, struggles? is it, is it something to be worried about or no? I mean, if you look like what well, Colorado's a couple points back with games in hand on mm-hmm. them and they play them twice more the rest of the way. Like Dallas is in danger of getting passed by them in the standings, which oh, yeah. would have seemed like unfathomable like a month ago. Right. But on um, true talent makes a ton of sense. Makes a ton of sense. I do like, I do like, I do like Dallas's team. I think they should be aggressive at this deadline. Um, Unfortunately, they've kind of like, like they have Anton Hudobin's contract, which is buried, and they can shed Gorionov as well, yeah. and they can probably they can clear what like four or five million between those two. Oh, if they, yeah. If they get I mean, it's it's almost uh, yeah, it's it's more than five by face value. Yeah, yeah. So they should be because they they could use another defenseman. They could certainly use another scoring winger. That to that line. to me is what they need. Like yeah. at the end of the day, I'm watching Dallas of late, and I still feel like they're one team with Pavelski's line on the ice, and they're Pavelski's line. Look at that, and they're and they're the, deferring to the seniority of Pavelski. I was deferring to the center, mm-hmm. and and they're and they're a completely different team with anyone else. I mean, they have like a seventy percent goal share with that line. It's which wild, is, which is just which is which should incentivize them to do whatever they can to build around them because it's very rare that you get a group that dominant. Yeah, and and con- like consistently dominant. There's no question that it's going to continue. It's they're a ton of fun to so watch. I think I think to answer your question, Jamie, something. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, You're I, a little I, concerned. I am. I mean, like, I think it's exposed some of the weaknesses that are legitimate on this roster now. The the question is always, and kind of, we were talking to Dave Notice, and he kind of said, look, you have to decide if you're a contender or not. Mm. Like, Dallas, weaknesses, but also you look at how they're positioned, and you look at the rest of the conference. Yeah. Do they check the box to be, we're a legit contender, we can win the Stanley Cup this year, and therefore we have to be aggressive? Are, are they an anything can happen contender? Or are they an anything yeah, or are they, they a, or they a real contender. contender? You know what I mean? Well, like, no, I mean, okay. sorry. And anything can happen reply, is, is like, that's true for only like 17. Sure. Yeah. Are, are they good enough to kind of justify spending, right? Is that That's what it really comes down to. And I'm not exactly sure how to answer that. I think like every Western Conference team that's in the playoffs 
is a yes to that question. Just because they're everyone else is in the same boat, right? Yeah. Like unless Colorado truly gets healthy and flips the switch, the West is about as wide open as it's ever gonna be. And yeah, you might be a heavy underdog come Stanley Cup final, but I think like any one of these teams would take that as all right, we'll take our chances in a best of seven for our all. Well so. and the East could be such a meat grinder. True. Yeah. I mean, you, you know what? It's interesting because anything can happen in a different way in the Western Conference this year. Like, I, I do feel that way. I do feel like, um, like if you go look at the Stanley Cup futures odds, right? Yep. It's like the the East teams and the West teams are priced so weirdly because the market assumes that someone has to come out of the West. Although the market has Colorado ahead of everyone other than Boston. Yeah. Which I, I find a bit surprising. But, but that's boosted. Doesn't that speak to the, the weakness of the Western yeah, Conference? Yeah, that's boosted right? by their path. Boston has to face the winner of Toronto, Boston. Toronto, uh, Tampa. Toronto, Tampa. So used to it being Toronto, Boston. Yeah. Uh, Toronto, Tampa, no matter what. Whereas, you know, Colorado, I mean, especially if they win their division, like, <laughs> you know, it could be really funny for them. Well, look at New Jersey's path. Like, I think we both really like New Jersey. They're going to probably have to place the Rangers. In round one, which Hurricanes. Like a seven-game series. Hurricanes, and then either Boston, Toronto, or Tampa. Yeah, brutal. That's, That's extremely yeah. difficult. So, so I mean, Colorado should have better odds than them. They should, but I think I think we're working under this assumption not only that they're going to get healthy, but they're going to stay healthy. And we keep seeing that, like, as someone comes back in the lineup, someone else just gets hurt. Like, yeah. That's how this works, right? And, and some of the injuries that they're now sustaining on the back end are, like, ones that we know can be repetitive. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, Kale McCarr, I mean... And they're going to take it, take it, like be extra careful with him, considering what he means to the franchise. What would you be looking to add for Dallas? Like, what are their key areas of need for Dallas? All right, so Tom, you and I next week are going to be doing trades. We'd like to see on. Oh, on I've my got, show, the I've PDO got some cast. Dallas ones for sure. So I don't really want to step fully on my toes here, but I think there's a couple scoring options to play along with Sagan and I guess Marchment on that line, mm-hmm. and one I really like is your boy Nick Schmaltz. Oh, I love that for yeah, them. Yeah. That's that's good. Tune in, ne- tune in next week to the PDO cast to hear the full trade return. See, I was I was definitely designing winger um, targets for Dallas, but I'm mostly like I'm so Canucks brained right now mm-hmm. that I was like, would they take Garland? Besser, Garland. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't think he'd be a bad fit stylistically though for yeah. Marchment and Sagan. All right, on Thursday, the day before the NHL trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Kirill Kaprizov, the real Kirill the Thrill, mm-hmm. comes to town. Yep. Are Are you surprised that the Wild are using what cap space they have to just accumulate as opposed to load up? I'm not because I I don't really think the team is good enough to justify like going all in with trading futures for players that can help mm. them now, and they just cannot afford to take on salary beyond this season. So they're in this unique spot where they have a bunch of cap space for the rest of this year. So yeah, getting extra getting extra lottery tickets for for Judd Brackett, I'm I'm all for that. Jordan Greenway has been on the block for a long time. Yeah, six foot six, plus skater. Yeah, pretty consistent top six scoring rate all up right. until this season. All right, what's your Greenway take? Not 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 for Vancouver because they have enough highly yeah, paid he's another winger. middle six wingers. Yeah, but you know, I mean, certainly a type of player that teams like and talk themselves into i'm i'm skeptical like i, I think i think like marcus felino and joel erickson eck were so underrated mm. the past couple of years that they sort of like brought him along in terms of why his metrics looked so good so i'm kind of and now that they haven't used them in that formation and felino's been out like you're seeing cracks in the armor i'm 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 skeptical and and he's unfortunately in that really awkward price range where what he's like 3.1 million or something yeah. for a couple more years 
those are like as Canucks fans are sure familiar with like the worst asset you can have in hockey. A winger with term, yeah. With like uh, in that three to four million dollar range, like no one wants that. Like, you, like <laughs> yeah, you're none right. of them, right? No, like you can't clearly. give them away. Clearly, you, otherwise they would have done so. Yes, your Greenway take. You know when there's like a negative review of a movie, but they find one sentence to take out of context and put on the poster. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like that's you on Greenway. He's a player the teams like. Well, <laughs> it's well, like, I oh, like, okay, that's interesting. I love, I love Tom, <laughs> Tom starting it with and then dot, jo- dot, dot. Jordan Greenway. He's six foot six. <laughs> No, this is compelling. <laughs> it's notable. And teams like him. Interesting. That's Interesting. a notable fact about Greenway. All right, let me let me. That is uh, a notable fact about Greenway. Yes. Hold but, on. Before but, we get off the wild. No, no, no. I, I'm. Sta- oh, okay. I'm okay, staying. Okay. Well, I'm staying on the wild, but broadening the scope. Because one thing that's going to be fun about the three opponents rolling in to uh, well, I guess the stars don't come to Rogers Arena, but the next Canucks's next three opponents are. Now I know they're not playing together right now, but the, you got the perfection line. Yep. You got Jason Robertson's line. I'm going to correct it for you. Yep. And then you've got this Kaprizov Zuccarello tandem, which is you know got to be the brainiest duo going. Yep. All right. Draft. Do you want to redo our draft so you can actually pick good players this time? No, no. I just want <laughs> you to draft those three lines. <laughs> you Jamie, number this is not, a, su- a sub draft. Yeah, didn't we do this did already? We do this? We've drafted lines, but I'll draft these three that we're going to watch this week. I mean, the Bruins one is clearly number one. Okay, if you're assuming they play together, which yeah. they haven't really much this year. Um, them for sure. I like that Stars line second, just because I like the three components and the way they play. I think it's more meaningful. Kaprizov is 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 better individually, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, like. There's yeah. not that much around him there, so they don't but, quite have the perfect center for that line. No, and Caprizo's been so important. If you look at like how like every goal they score now is with him on the ice. Like mm-hmm. they just do not generate. They have no other sources of offense. It's brutal. And so I guess that's why we keep hearing like Brock Besser linked to that because like anyone that could concede theoretically at least put the puck into the net with their shot is like such a need for them. Right. Is that the biggest reason why, you know, as we were talking about earlier, they didn't live up to their own expectations. Like they felt poised to be a contender this year, even after the Kevin Fiala trade. Is the secondary scoring the biggest thing that's gone wrong for Minnesota? Big time. And I think we did a show like when we did a preview for for a wild game at the start of the year, yeah. remember they started off like their first four or five games. They were getting in these like crazy like seven five. Yeah, their goal they had start. no goaltending whatsoever no goal to start. Yeah, and then it was like, oh, they're just gonna have to like win these high scoring games, and it just has been the exact. Opposite. <laughs> I think they're I think they're 30th in five on five scoring this season. Wow, it's, it's been purely riding the goalies and then getting power play goals here or there from the top unit. So yeah, I, I'm surprised that it's gotten like they've really reverted back to that like idea that we had of what the wild were for all they can't years. escape it yeah we, we spent so we spent not so long but like a whole year being like these aren't your daddies minnesota wild and yeah. it's like ah, oh, absolutely yeah. actually they are one exciting player yeah, and a bunch of guys who can't score yeah. they're back to it it's marion gabrick uh all over again uh it's canucks talk here sportsnet 650 in conversation dimitri filipovich of the hockey PDO cast uh, looking ahead to the next Canucks teams and uh, and the deadline as well. We probably won't get a chance to do a preview of you uh, next week, so I'll just look a little bit ahead even. The Canucks will play the Leafs on the Saturday yeah. after uh, the trade deadline. They've made their big splash adding Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, I know fans are just over the moon there in Toronto about mm-hmm. adding a Southern Ontario guy right. with the Stanley Cup pedigree and all that. What do you think about the fit on the ice for O'Reilly and the Leafs? Yeah, I'm, I'm in a I'm a bit surprised that they've used him right out of the gate playing with Marner and Tavares on that on that second line as opposed to testing him out as a third line center. Actually, um, I still think we'll see that the rest of the way. But it's tough to argue with the results after the hat trick he had in, in their most recent game against the Sabers. 
I mean, I, I don't think he's the player that he was sure. in 2019 when he won the Selkie and the Conn Smythe, but still clearly a very effective center, and I think gives them a lot of flexibility and utility down the middle. So I don't mind it. Like, obviously, every every trade involving the Leafs is going to be blown out of proportion, right? <laughs> what? Like that's just, that's just no. the way the media cycle works. No. But I think, like, it's reasonable, and ultimately they paid a lot, but who cares, right? Like, if they don't get out of the first round, it, none of it's going to matter anyways, so... Yeah, the the only thing that really bothers me about the conversation around the Maple Leafs is that, like, for the Bruins, it's like, tomorrow's don't matter. It's this year or mm-hmm. nothing. And we're talking about winning a cup. Mm-hmm. And for the Leafs, it's like, tomorrow's don't matter. It's this year or nothing. They have to win. <laughs> they have to win in the first round. Yeah. It's like, guys, come on. Well, if they win the first round, like, they beat the Lightning, and then they lose to the Bruins, will it be viewed as, like, a step yes. forward? Yes, yes. Banners, guess, banners, banners they, they hang forever. Banners hang forever, and so do memories of Toronto's first playoff series victory since Pat Quinn was their head coach. But I don't know, though. I mean, I guess like I'm, I'm thinking of an 100%. analogy here. Are you saying that as a journalist or a fan of the Leafs? If they like, win it around, will be seen as a step forward. But is it going to satisfy anyone? If they win around, everyone's going to be like, "This season was a massive success." They're the only team. They're the only team that they're the only playoff bound team that gets to like. From their fan base's perspective, from the conversation around them, they went around, the conversation's different. I think if you play Boston hard, and it's like six or seven games, that's one thing. Because then you can say, like, hey, Boston had this historic season, we gave them all they could yeah, handle, they, we fell up, we came short. That, that will if you happen. Get, if you get worked by Boston, though... No, but if you get worked by Boston, but play well, right? It's as long as you, like, win... Oh, yes. Maple Leafs fans, famous for distinguishing process from results. No, but... <laughs> Sorry, did you not see the the coverage of the playoff series last year? Yeah, the handshake line. They they got yeah, their respect. Like, the Leafs got the Leafs earned respect in that playoff series. Like, no, for sure, one hundred percent. So long as they went around, the story is this season was a success. And no team, for some reason, because they're well, they're a top five team. Re- what do you mean for some reason? If you lose in the first round, in excruciating fashion, six straight years, I think that's is the it, reason. I, are, wouldn't it be seven? Or are no, you not? You're not calling that excruciating. The first year they lost at a Caps. Yeah. They were clearly like not ready yet. Yeah. They were the happy to be there too. And they lo- they did lose game six in overtime, I believe. Yeah. So like it was like a tough way close. to lose a series yeah. for sure. But I don't I wouldn't view that one as like, oh, they should have won that one. No, no, pretty no, much no, everyone either. after you could be like, if Babcock was just a better coach, they probably would have won that. If year they hadn't had the turnovers yeah. in yeah. game six. Yeah. If they hadn't yeah. I don't remember what happened against Montreal, but it wasn't good. Um all right. Let's draft <laughs> We drafted pants. pants? Yeah, uh, you go first. Oh, I was going to give you the uh, the honors. No, but no, that's sure. fine. Well, sorry, if I pick first, I also get to pick last. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, no, <laughs> I'm just like I, I don't know. He's going right? to take hard pants. Last. Yeah, or say. first. I can't tell. <laughs> no, you I'm, go first. Yeah, I'm you gonna, go first. I'm going to take joggers first. Sure. Because I can wear them out. I can wear them on walks. I can wear them around the house. I find them deeply comfortable. I'm taking joggers. Hmm. You guys are stunned because I nailed a first pick. At least there's like an internal rationale to it that that makes sense. I'm like so many of you. Is it functionality? I know we never actually give criteria for what we're creating. You're on a you're on a desert island. Yeah. And no 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 desert. No 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 no. You get one pair of pants. No 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 no. Yeah, you're drafting. That's not what we're doing. We're not drafting what you would want to wear on a deserted island. That's completely different. Uh, no, I meant like you can only pick one. Famously love to wear pants on, <laughs> yeah. when I'm by myself on an island. 
Okay, you can only wear one. Fine, that makes more sense. Yeah, like you're drafting like your your essential pants. Yes, there you go. That was better. <laughs> it's the same thing. All right, as a blogger <laughs> and a radio personality, I'm gonna take sweatpants. Okay, see, everyone's gonna say this is a horrible pick, but I'm taking jeans. We're all wearing jeans. Oh, I no, don't no, think no, jeans no, are a horrible no, no, pick. No, 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 no. These are my hard pants. Yeah, sure. And people I are like, oh, je- jeans are so uncomfortable, <laughs> whatever. I wear jeans every day of my life. I'm, now, maybe I'm that says something jeans. bad about me. They're the clear first-round pick. They're versatile. You wear them to work. You wear them out. They're not that uncomfortable. People make a big deal about it. You can wear them for doing chores. I'm going jeans. And I guess I got a second pick here, too. Oh. I'm going to go I don't I'm going to go shorts. No, those aren't pants. Short pants. <laughs> oh. Pants? Like, like you're like, literally like, drafting like, short like, pants? Like, 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 pants and then cut them down then you have shorts. made shorts shorts yeah. <laughs> no no you have made shorts like shorts all right i'm gonna go George with uh, p- i'm gonna go with the pair of pants i probably wear second most often which is pajama pants oh very comfy good. great for around wow, the house that was a good way to get into like the comfort yeah zone. i got my bases covered yeah i like that yeah okay i guess i'll take like a pair of khakis yeah i think that's the right because they're still pretty comfy but you yes. can also wear them out because i took sweatpants first so i can't be taking another pair of pure comfort pants yeah, so I have joggers, which are both comfortable and functional. Wow. Um, How many meetings are you going to yeah. wearing joggers? I've never seen you in the studio I, wearing joggers. I've before. never seen I've Durant seen you on the trails, joggers. though. I wear joggers. Rocking some mean joggers. <laughs> and tights. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, I feel like there's only really five key. I'm going to take hot pants. What? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Well, I, first of all, you said we couldn't draft shorts. No, I said you couldn't draft shorts. But then I found the loophole. Hot pants are called pants specifically. That's what I'm drafting. Hot pants. Hold up. Wait a minute. You got one last pick to be drafted? No, 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 no. Let's end it there. Oh, let's end it there. All right. Part of the draft was Tom having to oh, have yeah. last he wanted pick. To, he someone. wanted to draft last. All right. Uh, Snoop, I love short the, Snoop shorts. the dogs. <laughs> Jeans, 100% first place. Get the right fit. They can be your hard pants and your soft Ooh. pants. No. Soft pants. Because then, then you sit around the house with them and they get worn from your phone and stuff. Right. That's that's a bad take. Don't sit around your house in, in jeans. Come on. All right. Well, you know what? People were more into that than I was expecting them to. So that was fun. We drafted pants. That's great. What a way to end Friday. Uh, <laughs> the, the PDO cast with Dimitri is coming up next. Have a great weekend. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.